Well, good morning, friends. Good morning, family. Um, as always, it's so good to bring God's Word to you this morning. And if you don't yet know me, my name is Dave, and I am part of the team here. I'm the Associate Pastor of Youth and Young Adults. And I want to join uh, with our team in acknowledging this has been a pretty hard week for our province, hasn't it? Um, and there's a lot of scary things that are kind of happening and have washed out. But I just want to remind us that uh, Jesus reminds us uh, that even last week as we were talking about it, rains and, and floods and potential devastation will come both physically and spiritually. But He is our sure foundation. He is our sure foundation in the midst of it. And we can trust in Him and we can trust in His words. And so today as we enter back into the Sermon on the Mount for the last time uh, in this sermon series. We can trust the words of Jesus, can't we? And uh, just a reminder that next week we're going to be in a new series uh, called Behold as we prepare for Christmas. It's going to be great. Now, here we are, Sermon on the Mount, last, last one, last one in the Sermon on the Mount. I know it's been many weeks, um, but I've heard it said, and I've said it before as well, that this is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who has ever lived. So it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal, this Sermon on the Mount. Would you stand with me as we listen to our passage? That's kind of a big deal. From Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 28. I'm going to read it twice because it's only two verses. When Jesus had finished saying these things, this amazing sermon, the crowds were amazed, astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law or the scribes. Let me read it to us again. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. You may be seated. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal with this sermon, this teaching? What's the big deal with this teacher? What's the big deal about Jesus? I know, again, a bit of a youth pastor kind of thing, but that's our title. What's the big deal? And it's actually a really important question. Now, uh, many years ago, uh, I was more athletic. I know I look super athletic right now, so it's, it's okay if you can imagine even more athletic, even more buff and strong. Many years ago, and I was a bit sporty. I was generally sporty. Now, I, I didn't play every sport as a kid. I, I definitely uh, played ice hockey because I grew up in Ontario, and that's kind of what you have to do. It's like part of being a child in Ontario, you have to be on ice somehow. Anyways, uh, so I was, I was a real ice hockey player, but I never, I never really grew up playing soccer. I played it kind of for fun, but I never really grew up playing soccer. Now, when I moved out here, soccer is kind of a big deal here. Now, it's a big deal lots of places. Uh, it's known uh, around the world as the beautiful game, and I was like, I really, I really want to try playing soccer. So uh, I kind of joined a team in my 20s, and uh, I didn't know what I was doing because uh, I'd never played it. I've watched it, but I'd never played it. So I joined this team, and it seems like the de facto captain, it wasn't like the official captain of our team was this guy named Michael. Now, 
Michael's really bossy. Um, Michael was a defender, and he stood at the back, and he'd tell everyone what to do all the time. And then when you kind of made a mistake, he'd take you aside, take you real close to him, and go like, okay, I need you to do this, this, and this, okay? And to some people, that rubbed them the wrong way. It's like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is, you know? Who does he think he is, this Michael? Now, the thing about Michael was, first of all, he was British, um, right? So he had the cool accent, but he didn't even call soccer soccer. He called it football. What? He called it footy, footy. So he had some, something about this game he knew. There was something inside him about this game. It was fantastic. Now, not only did he kind of know and love the game, but he was really good. He was actually a varsity athlete. He got scholarships to play soccer or footy uh, in, in college, in university. And here's the thing. He spoke with an authority. He was like, here, you do this. And when you did that, it worked. Or he said, hey, don't do this. You didn't do that. And it worked. There was something about Michael that was trustworthy of his authority. He could bark orders or speak softly to us. And we were like, yeah, I trust that guy because he knows this game inside and out. It's part of who he is, it seems. It's part of his identity. Now, that's just my friend Michael, who ended up actually becoming a pastor and kind of does that same beautiful thing, barks at people sometimes and softly talks to them as well. (laughs) But here's the thing. As we look at our passage today, we actually see an authoritative voice. We see Jesus with the gentle but also the hard talk all throughout the sermon. Now, we're going to look at this authority in three ways today. What's, what's the big deal with Jesus' teaching? We're kind of going to look at the teaching. We're not going to spend a lot of time there because you've spent a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount already. We're going to look at the big deal about Jesus. We'll spend a little more time there. And finally, what's our response to this Jesus who speaks with this authority? Now, just before we begin, I think it's going to be helpful for us to note like a few little things, three little things. And here's the first one. Now, the way our passage is worded, it starts like this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, when Jesus had finished saying these things, this little phrase occurs five times in Matthew, in his gospel, and it's always at the end of a section of teaching or discourse when Jesus is talking. So Matthew is actually letting us know that we have a significant transition from what Jesus has said to a new teaching. There's lots more we could say about this amazing little phrase and how it helps us. But Matthew is actually signaling to us we're ending something and we're beginning something new. So look back. Look back on what has just been said. It's really important. So helpful little note. Second little helpful note is uh, this little question. Who is responding to Jesus in our passage? Who is it that's responding? It's actually the crowds. If you notice, the crowds are responding to Jesus' teaching. Now, crowds, well, so what? The crowds in the Gospels uh, are those around Jesus, but on the outside. Think of that. Crowds are around Jesus, but on the outside. There are lots of times when the crowds are amazed and astonished, and many times where the crowds were so loved with compassion by Jesus, fed and healed, right? But the crowds are also those who shouted, crucify him, crucify him to Pilate, right? So the crowds, just so you note this, are most often, and it represents most often those around Jesus, 
but not his disciples. Around Jesus, but not his disciples. Instead, are on the outside of a close relationship with Jesus. So more on that in a bit. It's important for us to note. The third interesting note is this, contrast. Now we've already kind of had uh, a contrast here, but there's a few noteworthy contrasts. We have, you know, the crowds and who else is listening? Okay, think about that. Maybe it's the disciples. Mm -hmm. And we'll come back to that. But here's the main contrast in our passage. We might notice that uh, the teachers of the law here, the teachers of the law are in contrast with Jesus himself. Now, just so you know, the teachers of the law in Jesus' day, they spoke from authority outside of themselves. They always used another authority to speak. But Jesus seems to have a different kind of authority in himself. There seems to be nothing that astonishing about the teachers of the law who are so focused on the externals of religious things that they kind of miss the heart of God. Now, Jesus has a different kind of authority. This authority, this influence, this right, this power, this command. Jesus has this right and power and command in himself. So, just a few little notes as we think about this. So, what is the big deal with Jesus' teaching? What is the big deal with Jesus himself? Okay, so what's the big deal with Jesus' teaching? So we're talking about content here. And again, I don't want to rehash the entire Sermon on the Mount. You've heard amazing preaching on that already. But listen to this, our passage again. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching. Okay. They were amazed at the content of what Jesus said. And over the last many, many weeks, we've, we've engaged with this. And again, we're not going to go over all the Sermon on the Mount, but I hope as we've taken those deep dives into the very rich and powerful and convicting things that Jesus has said, he has taught you the ethic or the content of the kingdom of God, the internal heart of the disciple of Jesus. Now, just even thinking back to the the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just kind of that's the heart of a disciple, right? Okay. And there's no doubt that Jesus' words occasionally ruffled a lot of feathers. They were hard words, not only for them back then, but for us now, and quite surprising at times. Now, even last week, we heard Jesus speak of two foundations, right? A foolish one built on the world without Jesus, this sand foundation, and a foundation built on the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus. So even that is pretty bold teaching. Jesus' teaching is really bold. But what stands out to the crowds isn't just the words themselves, that whole sermon that we've been looking at over these last weeks and weeks and weeks. There's something different about the speaker, this teacher. There's something different about Jesus. Their amazement is in Jesus himself. Again, listen to our passage. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Who is this teacher who teaches with authority? What's the big deal about Jesus? 
Now, what's the big deal about Jesus? Jesus teaches with authority. So, as we've experienced over the last many weeks, this extraordinary kingdom content, this this beautiful Jesus sermon, this is how Jesus is laying out for us a life as a kingdom citizen, how to live with a heart of love and obedience towards God the Father. Here we get to pause for a moment and ponder the weight and the power and authority by which he spoke it, embodied it, lived it, and commanded it. If we're asking what's the big deal with Jesus and we're focusing on the authority and how he amazed the crowd, we too, sitting right here and those sitting at home, can be amazed at Jesus' authority and what gave him that authority. So let me just point out three ways. There's tons of ways, amazing ways that Jesus' authority could be talked about. But let's just look at three ways that we can look at Jesus' authority and what he claims about himself. The first is this. Jesus is the authoritative word. Jesus is the authoritative word. He's the word and fulfillment. We'll talk about that in a minute. Secondly, Jesus is the authoritative Lord. He's both Lord and judge. And thirdly, Jesus is the authoritative Son of God. Now, I'm very grateful uh, right now to uh, pastor and uh, author and Bible scholar John Stott. Now, if you know anything about him, he's this, I don't know why British is my theme today, but he's this amazing uh, British preacher and teacher, teacher, amazing scholar and theologian. I, I had the opportunity to meet him once. He was the, the most kindly and lovely fellow I had ever met in my life. Uh, absolutely fantastic, but also an incredible Bible scholar. And this is what he says in his book on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to read it with an amazing accent, Don. Sorry, I, I won't. I'll try. Um, here's what John Stott says. What we shall find is that it is impossible to drive a wedge between the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of the New Testament. Instead, the preacher of the Sermon on the Mount is the same supernatural, dogmatic, divine Jesus who is to be found everywhere else. So the main question the sermon forces upon us is not so much what do you make of this teaching as Who on earth is this teacher? This was certainly the reaction of those who heard the sermon preached. So, what's the big deal with Jesus? Jesus is the authoritative word, word and fulfillment. Now, you see, Jesus didn't just speak authoritative words. He definitely did. He definitely spoke these authoritative words. But he actually claims to be the authoritative word of God, doesn't he? That word from the source of all authority, God himself. What do I mean by this? Well, here's just a simple illustration. If we go back to Matthew 5, 17, Jesus actually places the entire known Bible to his hearers, what we know as the Old Testament. And this is what he says about it. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have come to fulfill them. 
Now, I know it's been a long time since we looked at this passage, but a reminder, this is a really bold claim. In essence, Jesus is saying that He has come to fulfill or to bear all the weight, all the power, all the promise of God's Word. He has come to satisfy and to perfect and to finish. He, Jesus, is the embodiment of God's promises in His Word. Now, that is a truly amazing claim. No wonder in John's gospel, we have Jesus is the Word made flesh, full of grace and truth. Yeah, so good. Then the next illustration I want to give us shows us not only does Jesus Himself the authoritative Word, but is also the authoritative Lord. The authoritative Lord. Back in Matthew 5, again, this is also a very familiar passage starting at verse 43. You have heard it said, that was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Not only is Jesus leading us with authority to the heart of the word, this repeated, but I tell you, I say to you, but I tell you, I say to you, over and over again, six times even in this small section. So what's the big deal here? Jesus is the authoritative Lord, both master and judge. Just like God the Father tells you, I tell you. Just like God the Father tells you, I say to you. These words of Jesus correct us with authority because He is the Lord of the Word. And I love how the the message describes Jesus as Lord as the master, which might be a more familiar word for us. He is the authoritative master over all things, and he is over all things that he says and does as well. In his role as Lord or master, he claims authority as judge, the ultimate judge judging God's people who would enter into the eternal kingdom of heaven or who will not. Just a little while ago, we looked at this passage in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, This, as we remember, is a pretty hard passage, isn't it? But Jesus is both Lord and judge, and is definitely not a pushover. He is speaking with such authority. Now, as Pastor Wes reminded us just a few weeks ago, this word is definitely convicting, but hopeful. Not only by the grace, it is only by the grace of God that we're saved in relationship with Jesus. Knowing Jesus and Him knowing us, not by doing just the things of religion, but by following Him on the narrow path with repentance and faith. And so, it is in this relationship that He knows us and rightly judges entry into the kingdom of heaven and eternal life. So, what's the big deal with Jesus? He is the authoritative Lord and judge, as well as being the very Son of God. We keep asking the question, what's the big deal with Jesus? 
let's just take a moment to reflect on what Jesus claims to be as God's unique and only Son. Jesus is the authoritative Son of God, or God the Son, second person in the Trinity. Just listen to this. How many times in the Sermon on the Mount does Jesus call God Father? Well, at least 15. Even in this last passage we just looked at, verse 21 of chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is the Son of God who speaks with the authority of knowing the Father, doing the will of the Father, praying to the Father, making the way for us to know the Father. There's this constant theme of Jesus leading us to His Father, constantly glorifying the Father and constantly humbly entering into that glory as the Son and constantly inviting us into the kingdom of heaven under the authority of Father and Son. So, What's the big deal with Jesus? Jesus is the authoritative word. Jesus is the authoritative Lord, master, judge. Jesus is the authoritative son of God, God the son, fully God and fully human. So, this is where I want us to really focus. How do we respond? How do we respond? Here's this great teaching of Jesus. Here's the representation of Jesus in authority. How then do we respond? Again, our passage. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So we've talked about Jesus' authoritative teaching and Jesus himself as the authority, right? As the word, Lord, Son of God. What are we going to do with this authority, as Matthew ends this section of the gospel, are we going to be like the crowds who are just amazed and astonished? Or is there something better? Is there something better? Just a few minutes ago, I noted that we have crowds and and contrasts. Let's return to this. If we go back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, just so we we have context, Matthew 5.1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So we have the crowds, and we have the disciples. Crowds and disciples. Again, that reminder that the crowds are astonished at Jesus' teaching, but on the outside, on the outside. His disciples are listening and close to Jesus. Now, through The entire sermon, Jesus is speaking with authority and invitation. The question Matthew's gospel seems to be asking, and the question we can ask right now, Jesus' authority is a big deal. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Will Will we be like the crowds, amazed, but kind of unmoved, or called to be disciples and citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So as we come round to this kind of concluding idea, let's briefly ask 
this contrasting question. Crowds or disciple? Crowds or disciple? And let's ask that question in these three little areas that we've touched down upon. Jesus as the authoritative word. Are we going to be like the crowds or disciples? Jesus is the authoritative Lord and judge. Are we going to be like the crowds or disciple? Jesus is the Son of God. Are we going to be like the crowds or disciple? Let's just sit on that for a moment. So, if Jesus is the authoritative word, are we like the crowds or a disciple? Now, when I was a young guy, I was like the crowds a lot in pretty much everything I did, but particularly in terms of my relationship with Jesus. I went to a youth group for a short time, and I was really like the crowd. I was just kind of watching in, taking a look over at what's going on, but never really engaged. I was sort of amazed at some of the things I heard, but never really engaged. Now, if you're a young person or kid or youth, a young adult, this can easily be your world too. Not necessarily, but it can easily be your world too. Maybe you feel like a little bit dragged to church, like, oh, do I have to go, right? Maybe you feel like it's under some obligation because it's a family thing. But here's the thing. If Jesus is the one who fulfills all God's promises, do you want to be like the crowds or disciple? The call is to know him and through him actually know ourselves and follow and obey his word. So here's the thing. The crowds, well, Maybe they, they listen. They're listening in, right? But maybe unable to find fulfillment or satisfaction in Jesus, His way, this narrow path that He's talking about. The crowds kind of find satisfaction in other ways than the voice of what Jesus is telling them. So maybe the Bible is, is really interesting, and, and maybe it's even full of amazing truth. But is it really sinking in? Does it really translate to faith and trust in Jesus and what he says is true and can be trusted, believed, and followed? Now, I know you're thinking, oh, there's a huge difference between the crowds and the disciples. It's not that much of a difference, trust me. It, there, it, but there is some difference in how we respond to Jesus. The disciple is one who actually has a desire for God, wants to be with Jesus, to listen to him, to be in a, a genuine conversation, even if it's full of doubts too. Now, do we want to be praying? Yes, of course. Come to church? Sure. But more than that, coming into His presence through His Word, listening to His Word by the power of the Holy Spirit, to know Him in order to know Him, to hear Him, to follow Him. And yes, as a disciple, very imperfectly, for sure. It's not about perfection. It's about our heart. So what might that look like for you? What might that look like for you? Now, here's just one example. There's a million ways it could look. Here's just one way. One example could be maybe establishing God's Word more firmly in your life. Establishing God's Word more firmly in your life. Instead of having it over here, having it over here. This could be the week. I really encourage you, this could be the week where you say, I will regularly open up God's Word, the Bible, and listen to the voice of Jesus as He's calling me. Or if you do that already, maybe it's time to refresh that. 
because it's maybe feeling a bit stale, to, to actually go to the heart and say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to read your word? Reading and studying and listening to God's word can be a daily discipline in growing in your faith in Jesus. But remember, this is a relationship. It's not just doing it because you have to. It's that desire to, to want to be with Jesus. Ask God to help you with that. Now, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this as well as we do this day by day. And again, it's, it's not about what's on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. Now, do you uh, need something to help you? Maybe you need a Bible app. You know, that's helpful. Uh, maybe a Bible plan. Or maybe you just need someone. Someone to help you do that. To get started. Feel free to come talk to me. I'd love to chat with you about this. Or Pastor West, or your home group leader, or someone you trust who's a Christian. How do I do this? How do I start to get into God's Word? So that, that's, that's really important. Secondly, if Jesus is the authoritative Lord and judge, do we want to be like the crowds on the outside or a disciple? If Jesus is the one who is Lord and judge, what we do matters. But more than that, where our heart is, is what matters. For the crowd, the claim of Jesus' authoritative way might be impressive. Whoa, Jesus, this is pretty amazing what you're saying. But maybe it doesn't really fit with my lifestyle or my goals or my success. So if, if the Christian life is, is convenient and maybe doesn't rock my world too much, I can follow along. But when Jesus challenges me and says, no, will I listen? Do I prioritize Jesus and a relationship with him? Do I seek God's kingdom first in his righteousness in my life? Or is my life my life? Now, one example of this, and there's obviously many, many uh, examples we could give. What would, Jesus, what would you think Jesus wants to reset in your priorities? Where is it that you think Jesus might want to reset your priorities? The crowds tend to listen to Jesus when he's healing or making the re religious leaders look kind of silly. When Jesus is Lord and master and boss of the disciples' life, when Jesus says something hard, the crowd shies away, maybe leaves or prioritizes something else. But friend, I want to ask this. What do you kind of know that Jesus wants to set right? Most of us kind of know already a little bit. There's something that's been nagging at you. What does Jesus want to reprioritize in your life? Maybe it's being in a home group or being part of youth group more. Or maybe it's prayer in your life. There's all sorts of things. Maybe it's I'm so over-programmed I have no space for Jesus. Is it, is it work has kind of taken over? You name it, there are so many different things. What is it for you? Well, for me this week, um, this being honest, um, you probably want to hear about how did God reprioritize your life, Dave? Well, uh, social media, I know it's one of those things you're like, oh, it's so good in so many ways, right? Um, and I use it, you know, partly to keep in contact with people and, and to you know, let people know what's going on in my life and, and to hear what's happening in other people's life. And some of that's really good, right? But if I'm honest, it's kind of a source of control for me. Uh, it's kind of a source of saying, this is my community right here. I have control over this. This is where my fulfillment is. This is where my interests are, and that's where I'm going to go with this. Now, again, not bashing social media, just saying, hey, found a wrong place of priority in my life. 
I was actually putting electronics before people, real people, actual people, face-to-face -face people, or at least eyes-to-eyes -eyes people, right? And prioritizing sort of my own kind of control over loving people. And it was actually a, a passage from 1 Thessalonians in the Bible that kind of just reminded me, something I already knew, to reprioritize, to kind of mind my own business and start to look to people. So now, hopefully, electronics has a lower priority in my life, and I pray to God that He would help me continue that. That's just one sort of example of God beginning that reprioritizing or resetting a priority because Jesus is Lord, and He needs to be at the front. So, Jesus is Lord. Now, if Jesus is the authoritative Son of God, are we just crowds on the outside or something more? Now, the crowds hear Jesus talk about God as Father and the invitation to be His children. And that sounds great, but do we want someone else to define us? Do I really want to be like God's child as He defines me? Do we really want someone else to define us, who we are? Now, the disciple realizes that only through Jesus, the eternal Son of God, and His cross and resurrection Am I forgiven of my sin and given a new identity as a child of God, a son, a daughter? I don't actually get to define who I am. He does. And here's the thing. His definition is far greater than anything I can come up with. I am saved. I am known. I am loved. That's who I am as a son or a daughter. Now, this might be one of the most difficult aspects of Jesus' authority for us. Do we want to be like the crowd on the wide path, doing our own thing, defining who we are, or surrender to Jesus' authority as the Son of God who died for us so that we would become children of God? So here's a, a cheeky question. What part of your identity are you continually trying to define outside of Jesus' authority? I may be a thinker. There, there's so many for us, aren't there? There's so many options for us. And it's complicated. Maybe it's our cultural status or our sexuality or our success or our popularity or our political identification or our education, even church significance. So many different options. It goes on and on. And a simple example of receiving Jesus' authority as the Son of God may come in the form of actually rejecting and accepting some things uh, in your life as a son or a daughter. Maybe you're saying, no, this is not who I am as a son. Or, yes, I receive that because that's who I am as a daughter, a child of God. Now, there are so many labels that the world can put on us, and so many that we can actually put on ourselves. You know, one of the ones that I've actually struggled with recently is, is in the area of foster care. God has actually called me to this beautiful thing, but as I do it, I realize how complicated it is, and how difficult it is, and how many situations are so messy. And some days, to be honest, I feel like a failure. 
I have not done what I wanted to do, or I have not been able to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish with these kids. And I could let that label of failure stick to me. But because Jesus is the very Son of God who has made me a child of God, a child of our Heavenly Father, failure is not who I am. It's not who I am. It's not who you are. That's not who we are. He doesn't label me failure, but a son as known, as saved, as beloved. And remember in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, this fantastic verse that you should say to yourself over and over again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, under His authority, in the power of the Spirit. And this is a space I know for kids and youth and young adults, and yes, for all of us, the world is trying to define you. It's trying to define This is who you are. Or it's trying to encourage you to define yourself. This is who you should be. You should discover who you are and be that. And I have no problem with us enjoying and discovering the gifts and the good things that God has given us. That's, that's not what Jesus' authority is saying here. Jesus' authority as the very Son of God, actually changes our perspective, changes our world, and allows us to redefine who we are as a son, as a daughter, as the one who is saved and known and beloved. So friends, as, as we draw to a conclusion, and I've said some pretty heavy things here, and I, I understand that. Listen to this word once again from Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus is the authoritative word. Jesus is the authoritative Lord and judge. Jesus is the authoritative Son of God, fully God and fully man. Do we respond like the crowds with some amazement but go no further? Or do we, like the disciples, seek to hear the voice of Jesus in his word, to come under his authority as our Lord and ultimate judge, but with great hope? And rejoice, as we sang earlier, rejoice that we are children of God as his sons and daughters. And I want you to be reminded once again, because that was a pretty, there's lots of heavy things about Jesus' authority. But here's what I want to remind us. Jesus had great compassion on the crowds, didn't he? Great compassion on us when we mess up as sheep without a shepherd. And he wants you and I to move from that crowd place, from being in the crowd on the outside, to a place of trusting and believing as a disciple and moving into the kingdom of heaven. And if you're feeling that you're a bit on the outside, he wants to invite you to be in this kingdom. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father because Jesus is the authoritative word. Jesus is the authoritative Lord and judge. Jesus is 
the very Son of God, God's Son, and we can come to you through Him. We pray, Lord, that you help us to come under your great authority that is for our good and for your glory. And we pray that even though sometimes we act like the crowd's just looking in, and that can be an okay thing, but that you invite us to something better, to be a disciple coming under your authority that we may be saved, known, and beloved. And we pray for all those we know who we would want to seek being crowds to come to be disciples. And Lord, we pray for all of those that they would become children of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.